Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody. It's Sean Drover from Active Defiance. You are listening to Talking Metal. Crank it up. Hey, everybody. This is producer guitarist Bob Kulik, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids. What it leaves behind is hard. 
Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and that song right there, a classic Megadeth song, A Toot Le Monde, which we have on today's podcast, former Megadeth drummer. He actually didn't play on that song, but he uh, was with Megadeth for a long time. Sean Drover, he's going to be joining us in just a bit. And also Bob Kulik, who is best known for his work with Kiss. Of course, he played with... Everyone from Michael Bolton to Meatloaf to Alice Cooper to uh, working with with Motorhead, producing stuff for Motorhead, and just a, a long, long resume. This guy, Bob Kulik, great guy. He's going to be on the, uh, the show in just a few minutes. But also joining me on this episode, Joshua from the Talk To Me podcast. That's a nice uh, stacked bill you have there of guests. Yeah, you know what happens, man? I, I get this thing like where like the Sean Drover interview i recorded it like a month ago and like other interviews come in that i end up pushing in front of it and i i end up i it drives me nuts when i end up with like this back catalog of interviews because a i feel bad that i don't get this stuff up in a timely manner and b like when you guys hear this interview with sean drover we're we're talking like it's september 2017 which it is you know we're talking about his record that's going to come out meanwhile it's been out like a month already so do you ever run into that that back you know the backlog of episodes and, yeah. and you know i only once a week so it's it's hard to you know you know you get so many people wanting to come on the show which is a nice problem to have right i'm sure you get it too where you you know you get publicists trying to trying to get your uh, get their artists on your show and you've already got three interviews in the can and you don't want to sit on too many more but uh yeah sean drover uh was also on the talk to me podcast uh, i guess about a month ago when his album came out and uh yeah good dude i had, I had a fun uh, chat talk or 
fun time talking to him. Yeah. Well, what do you tell these publicists? Because they're so pushy to me. Like I'll, you know, I'll be like, oh, well, I'm I'm too backed up right now, and then a week later they're right back at me. Like, uh, can you do it now? You know, I, it's like I don't know. I I, I guess I, I'm always afraid. I don't want to like tick them off because then when they have somebody really good that I actually, you know. No, no, no offense towards Sean because I, I think he's great and I'm so glad he's on the podcast. But I'm just saying that that sometimes, you know, I, I'm afraid to say no because I'm afraid then they'll hold back uh, somebody really big on me. But uh, do you have a problem telling the publicist no? I have a problem telling them no. I, I think I might just send a. I don't know if that's maybe my demographic or right. Okay. You know, I try to. An I try excuse. to excuse in there, you know, or just. Uh, you know, if you don't respond, you'd be like, "Oh man, it must have got lost in the email, you know, or something." But you know, it's trying to keep it, uh, try to keep it as positive as possible. But yeah, I do understand. You know, if you say no to this one guy, then you know the guy that you do want, they're gonna be like, "Well, he turned us down last time, so let's move on to you know, rock talk with Mitch Lafon. He'll take us." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, which which Mitch is actually interviewing less and less now that that uh, he's he's doing rock talk because he's on a, a once a week schedule where he used to do two a week. But, anyways, um, speaking of Mitch, he's a big Kiss fan. I'm a big Kiss fan, and I know Mitch did an interview with this guy, and I was thinking that Bob wasn't going to want to talk about Kiss at all because I'd been tipped off that he that he was here to talk about his new record. But he gives us lots of Kiss talk on this interview. He's got a great new record out. You need to check it out. He's going to tell us all about it. Skeletons in the Closet, it's called. And this song comes off that record. It's called Player. features Andrew Freeman on vocals. And after you hear the song, you will hear my interview with Bob Kulik. Yeah! 
Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and it's a big honor for me because on the line, a guitarist I've known about for a very long time, his work with Kiss, Meatloaf, Alice Cooper, Michael Bolton, all his great production work. This guy is a Grammy award-winning producer, Bob Kulik. How are you, Bob? Great, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on today. Oh, it's uh, it's a privilege, really, and I'm really, really excited by this new record that you have out, Skeletons in the Closet. So many great songs, so many great guest stars on the record. Let's uh, let's talk about this. I mean, you've been doing music for a very long time, and like I mentioned in the intro, there your your resume is just staggering. Literally, it's just just incredible. But never, you never really did a Bob Kulik record or album why why now what what made 2017 the time to unleash this great record on us well you know when opportunity meets preparedness then sometimes something like this can happen and so with a series of events of having some new material that's featured on skeletons in the closet london and rich man not before you player the new songs uh, that are the uh, basically the, the front of the record. Right. Uh, you know, being able to have those songs. Uh, my girlfriend, who is also the, the photographer, who took the picture on the back cover and pictures of me on the inside, Julie Bergans. You know, she encouraged me to think about doing a solo record with these songs, and then introduced me to the guy who co-produced my record, Bobby Ferrari, who, with his great studio, was able to have a an amazing environment, the old school environment, a real, a real studio with an SSL to be able to record in and have the guest artists, Frankie Benali and Dee Snyder and Andrew Freeman, Robin McCauley and Vic Wright and Todd Kearns and Brent Fitz and Scott Coogan, you know, come to this, this great studio to record. And they all had the same experience then of being in like, wow, this is a real studio. Um, so that really kind of helped with the vibe and uh, getting it started. And once we had these four songs done, we added Goldfinger, which was the cover song. And then I went into the uh, closet and found the the nuggets, the skeletons in the closet that comprised the back half of the record. Okay. And, you know, decided that these songs hadn't seen the light of day, really. And so it seemed like, okay, well, let's put these as the back half. And a lot of people like those as much as they like the new songs. So um, I'm happy that they're like anything. So, so the, when you when you talk about the back half of the record, these songs are how old? Like, are they going back decades? Are they are they just yeah. a few years old? Some yeah. of them are. Yeah, yeah. The, the you know the, the skull stuff is late '80s and the murderers row stuff '90s. So you know, th- there's there's some stuff on there that because it was recorded properly, which is the other thing, because recorded in real studios that they still stood up to the, the sonics of what this new studio provided me for the front half of the record for the new material. So cool. that, that was the really good news is that it didn't sound like a hodgepodge thrown together thing. It all sounded consistent. And, and, and of course having, you know, my cherry pick 23 guests on here, you know, all the guys that, you know, had been on already and the people that we added really make for a great blend of, the people who are great at this genre of music and, and also especially the vocalists who all shine throughout. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, really I agree. I think it's great 
Yeah. Some some great players, some great vocalists. I mean, the song London immediately jumped out at me. I mean, Dee's voice always so unique and and just powerful. Let's talk a little bit about that song, the the story behind it. You you wrote the lyrics for the song? No, that was that was my partner Doug Kateras, Doug, okay. uh, the um keyboard player who's on the record as well as a keyboard player and background vocals um who was instrumental no pun intended, in helping me get this to the point where we had a material to play for a D. Snyder, for a Robin McCauley, for Todd Kearns, for these great singers to be like, sure, Andrew Freeman, I want to sing that. Okay, okay, everybody wasn't, a, 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 you know, what do you think? You think you might come in and have a shot at this? No, I don't know. It wasn't that at all. It was like totally gung-ho, and that's the reason. At the end of the day, what you really have as, as a record producer, you have a singer who's singing songs. This is what most records are. And there's instrumentation on there that one would call the embellishment. And that's right. what people are really hearing. They're not looking at it like, uh, oh, there, I'm the second guitar player on this, and I think I should be louder in the mix, because no. <laughs> you know, it, it's about the singer and the song. And to that extent, I think that this record really shows that. As far as London goes specifically, I had originally hoped that Doug would come up with something more commercial in a sing-along way, like a actual chorus chorus. But then I realized when I said, but it's got to be dark, that he took it to a place that I didn't realize it was going to go. But as Dee Snyder said, you know, this, you know, the lyrics fit the mood of this music, which is, you know, a, a piece in six, one, two, three, four, five, six, Beatles, Apple, and, you know, a lot of, not a lot of people do something in, a six, eight time right? at that tempo. It gives it uh, uh, to me uh, and everyone that's heard it, that's said something to me about it, uh, a heaviness, especially with the tuning configuration on there, which is uh, another of, you know, my specialty items, you know, here's a tuning that I use for this thing that allowed it to sound like piano chords being played on guitar, you know? So, uh, you know, cool. this is maybe the uniquest piece on the record, as you've pointed out. And yeah, his vocal on there, I've, I've known that he's a monster as a, of a singer. You know, people discount him, a lot of people, because, oh, he's a singer from Twisted Sister, and they don't think of Twisted Sister as a band with a monster singer, but it indeed is and has always been. Yeah, absolutely. And another monster singer, a guy that I recently saw play live with Last in Line, just really blew me away in the live setting. I loved his his voice on on the Last in Line record, but live he was just uh, had such a presence over the crowd and the room and and that comes through on the song Player on your record, Andrew Freeman. How did you connect with Andrew? Well, I met him through a rock vault guys here in Las Vegas where we all live. And it was just one of those circumstances where, you know, he came to the studio, I'd sent him the song and, you know, we'd met one time over at the show and he came over and just killed it. We were, you know, Bobby Ferrari and I were just like, wow, couldn't ask for a better vocal performance. I mean, the guy totally came in and just owned it, which is what great singers do. So yeah, he's he's at he's at the top of the list now as far as like here's another amazing singer that I've been lucky enough to work with. I've been you know when you look at who's on here, you know Robin McCauley and Dave Isley and these guys, and not chopped liver, you right. know. So yeah. uh, very again to be able to deliver these songs, 
even if I reduce myself to just the embellishment, I'm happy because that's what's getting through is that people are hearing like, wow, these are really good songs. They didn't just throw together some bullshit jam and, 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 you know, do this, this, this is a bona fide attempt at, okay, I'm going to present some new material with some great people on here and see what happens. Yeah, and it's a great-sounding record. Uh, for the listeners, we're going to have it linked through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. It's also on Spotify, uh, Amazon, iTunes, you name it. It's, uh, it's, it's out there, and it's definitely worth checking out. Bob Kulik, who, again, has such just an amazing history, and we'll, we'll talk to him about his history in, in just a bit. But let's keep talking about this great record. Skeletons in the Closet, uh, Vinny Apice, Rudy Sarzo. Of course, there's uh, your Kiss connection, which is always a part of uh, conversation when you talk to Kiss fans. But there's a Kiss connection with this record. You got your brother, Bruce, is on it, as well as Eric Eric Singer. Um, how long have you known Eric Singer? I've known Eric since we did the Paul Stanley tour in 89. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I was at it. City Gardens in, in Trenton, New Jersey. Great, great show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. That was fun. Yeah. Well, I'm going to see the guys on the cruise. As you know, my brother and I are going to be playing uh, an hour plus set uh, Sunday night, the opening night of the uh, Kiss Cruise. That's so that awesome. Should, that should be something great. Yeah, yeah. And... So have let's see you played with Eric on that on that tour way back when did you work with him at all since then and and now Oh yeah we he played on a bunch of compilation records that I produced um 2001 on or even late 90s on we did a bunch of stuff together and even did a couple of shows in Japan I played with ESP his uh Eric Singer project thing with my brother and Eric uh, once and yeah, you know, we did a kiss convention together, a couple of kiss conventions together. So yeah, I, you know, and and we're friends. You know, we we text every now and again. We talk on the phone every now and again, and you know, we hang every now and again. So you know, um, he's he's a friend, and 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 you know, we share that camaraderie of you know his first kiss experience was the Paul Stanley tour. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you you and your brother do the the set on the Kiss Cruise, will Eric play the drums with you guys? We actually have Brent Fitz and Todd Kearns playing with us. Okay, cool, cool. So we have Slash's rhythm section with Todd singing, which is, you know, he's an amazing singer. He sang on my record. Uh, actually, everybody that's playing is on my record, my brother, Brent, and Todd. So awesome. it's, it's, it's a really great band, uh, and uh, we're going to have something uh, online pretty soon, a little clip, because uh, we, we've just been rehearsing for the show. Okay, great. And you'll play songs off the Skeletons in the Closet record, and then will you hit some of like Bruce's solo material also? No, I don't think no. we're going to touch any of that stuff. Just okay, cool, cool. Well, that would be a special treat for the the fans on the yeah, cruise. Yeah, I think we need to give the fan. You know, I, yeah, I think you know he's going to play songs from his generation with the band, and I'll right. play songs from my catalog with for the band. That seems like what would be better for the audience, uh, you know, for what this is. Right. Absolutely. It's got nothing to do with my record. It's got gotcha. nothing to do with, you know, his, 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 his grand fun gig or anything, but this will be, it will be something special though, for sure. Right. I got you. Cool. Well, Kiss Alive 2 just turned 40 years old. This, this actually this past Saturday, Looking older than me, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, by a few years, right? You must have been awfully young when you were doing that. Right, I, I, it was it was Baby Bob right. on that 
baby Bob, right? Uh, any any memories that you could share with us? I mean, I'm sure there's a ton. Just 40 years later, I know you always get asked about that record. But uh, let me ask you this: How how do you feel your your songs? I think what four four songs? I think you were involved with on that record. How do they hold up after 40 years? Uh, they still really hold up. Yeah. They still are blazingly aggressive solos that have melody and a vibe to them. And I think that is what everybody feels when they hear it is there's conviction to the playing. And, you know, it, it, it's again, the, the, the vocals are the most important thing, but also leads solos need to fit the cadence, the motif, the vibe of the song. And I think like larger than life, you know, all of that stuff really was larger than life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it was the personification of larger than the same with all American man. You know, those were, you know, the lyrics were bombastic and, you know, those two songs needed some bombast. So I was able to provide some fireworks on those. And, you know, when I listen back to them or, you know, reminding myself again, okay, where did I go there? Oh yeah. I pretty much know them to be honest because I've played them a bunch of times in various guises, you know, um, including on the, uh, the DVD uh, that my brother and I did to showcase some of the stuff we played with kiss. But, um, it was a great experience. Uh, at the time, uh, the band was working with Eddie Kramer. Eddie Kramer produced Jimi Hendrix. Yes. He was the engineer rather. Uh, he worked with the Beatles. He worked with uh, top Zeppelin. bands like Led Zeppelin. I was yep. about to mention even Led Zeppelin was engineer Eddie Kramer. So he was the engineer. And, I, and, and the, the one thing that he really, really helped out with on this was he got me a killer sound. Yeah. And so this way, no matter how long it took, it was always inspired to be like, okay, I'm going to crank it up because it sounds great. And on Paul's record, by the time it had gotten to that, you know, those songs, you know, we were, Paul and I were in a groove. Yeah. So I never felt like I did it, you know, subbing for Ace Fraley on Kiss Alive 2, that that wasn't subbing for anybody. I was going to be me on Paul's record. So being relaxed as I was and, you know, us having a really good guitar vibe about him being a fan of my playing and me just feeling like, just play. It's going to be great. And lo and behold, wow, I don't think we need to do another one. I'm like, you're happy. He's like more than happy. And they still stand up. And then, you know, I'll probably dish some of those out on the cruise. We'll see. And, you know, uh, I'm proud of what I've did with them. Um, the writing of some of the stuff that I did with Gene and some of those other songs are going to be actually on his, uh, vault set of new material that, you know, from the, uh, talk about from uh, the, the skeletons in the closet this this goes way back for him right so right. yeah you know it's um the kiss alive two thing you know it was interesting i spoke to gene about you know his vault uh songs he's using four songs that i co-wrote with him on there uh, i mentioned to him you know i never got my uh, uh multi-platinum kiss alive two uh disc right and of course you know the office called me the next day for the address and within a week it's you know so now it's up on the wall you know i got oh, my nice. kiss alive two up there and it's like well that was that was that was good, you know. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, just in time for 40. Yeah, exactly. 
Right. Cool. And, you know, you, you mentioned, obviously, the Paul record. You have these the four unreleased songs that is, are coming out on Gene's box set, which I guess is about to be released. What about the... There were four songs also on that Kiss Killers record. Were, were those songs songs that were sitting around maybe the Kiss vaults at that time for a few years? Or were those songs that, that you were recorded freshly in whenever that was, 1982? No, those those were freshly recorded songs. Right. Uh, I'm not saying I was there for the recording of those parts of them, but they were. Right. Um, so it's you know it's just one of those things again where they needed my help, and that this this uh, Kiss Kills was done right about the same time as Creatures. They needed to put something out to sort of you know just hold the fort while they were getting Creatures at night together, and uh, you know nowhere to run and partners in crime, you know, I, I thought they were, they were worthy. Yeah. Great you know, stuff. Especially knowing Paul, Paul sang his butt off on that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a really great song. Oh yeah. The acoustics love song. And the whole way it's laid out, you know, that was fun, you know, to play on, you know, the, these solos were a lot shorter than, you know, larger than life and a couple of the other things, but uh, no less fun. You know, we had a great time doing them. Um, even though they were getting ready to change guitar players and they were auditioning people, you know, uh, I just tried to give them what they needed for this, which I did. Well, cool. And what about the song Naked City on Unmasked? You had a songwriting credit on that. Was that left over from a wrote, previous it, session? Or? No, this is a song, a piece of music that uh, I came up with, with uh, Pepe Castro, the singer from Balance at the time. We had the melody idea, and then Gene came in with the, the concept, and uh, Vinnie Poncia added his two cents, so to speak. And next thing you know, it's on uh, the Kiss record. So, no, this was something that was whipped up fresh for that record. Cool. Now, a guy you have on the Skeletons in the Closet album, your brand new record, is Frankie Benelli. And he is the guest on on uh, one of the songs on that record. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. Do you remember? He plays on London. Oh, London. He's on the same one with D. Okay, very cool, very cool. So you worked with him on what many consider the best Wasp record, the Crimson Idol. Such a powerful piece of work, concept record. I guess I would call it. Is that is is that where you first Still came doing count? It. Is that where you first met Frankie? No, I'd met Frankie before. We'd we'd done some stuff beforehand, so that was very cool that uh, he was able to join us. He also played on a lot of the compilation records that I did, right? And the Blackthorn record. You know, Frankie's been somebody I've worked with a lot. Very cool. Very cool. Any memories yeah. of working on that Wasp record, The Crimson Idol? Uh, you know, we had Blackie and I had some fun. He he was very uh, particular about what he wanted. Um, and, uh, I was able to provide some memorable solos on that as well. I guess, you know, a lot of the tempos and vibes were in the wheelhouse of, you know, where my playing suited him best. Right. Cool. And yeah, a new Motorhead record is, is out, which is actually previously recorded material undercover, but you have, I think at least three, maybe four songs on that record that you produced, right? Yes, four songs uh, that uh, Bruce Brie, my partner at the time, and I produced, uh, including the uh, Grammy Award-winning Whiplash. Right, uh, right. God Save the Queen, um, 
shoot him down and the stones uh jump and jack flash that's the four songs and uh you know to hear lemmy edition those out again for me is like always a thrill especially with whiplash and god save the queen those two you know the, the tongue-in-cheekness as i had pointed out to lemmy at the time you know, we were trying to pick some you know uh bonus tracks I, mean, I said you know you singing a song like that with a lyric like that gives it a whole other slant that it wouldn't have with anybody else yeah because not only is it great and kick ass, but it's funny and you have to own up to that. You know, Bob, I mean, he was just like, you know, I was just like, seriously. And of course, what happens? It goes from bonus track to single to video to everybody going, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. And then they do a video and what, what the video was funny. Gee, what a surprise. Right. You know, so I, I'm glad that uh, and, uh, maybe a new, newer Motorhead audience may not be hip to some of that stuff. We'll get a chance to hear that in the, you know, the, the, the Grammy award-winning version of uh, Whiplash that uh, we did that uh, totally kicked ass. And how, how well does Lemmy take direction in the studio? Like as a producer, when you, when you give him feedback, is, is he receptive to it? Or do you really have to kind of uh, twist his arm a bit? Well, to it, always did, stuff? It, it, it depended on the feedback. Right. Okay. If you liked the feedback, that was one thing. If you didn't like the feedback, that was something else. You know, <laughs> okay. um, we 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 did we hit a lot of home runs together, so we we had a really good working relationship. The theme for Triple H, uh, I played guitar and co-produced that, and his vocals sold it. Again, right. you know, it's time to play the game. That couldn't have been any better. Nobody could have done. Nobody could have provided that for that. It couldn't have been any better. Um, same with Whiplash and a few of the other things that we did. You know, he, he helped out a lot of the compilation records that I did. The We Wish You a Metal Christmas record when he performed Run Rudolph Run with Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl right? on yeah. drums. And, yeah, and and Billy Gibbons was, was was one of the most fun things we ever did. You know, that, that really people were like, wow, that's a super band. I was like, that is a super band. You yeah. know, Billy Gibbons, Lemmy, and Dave Grohl. <laughs> please you know so i've been really lucky in being able to concoct some of these combinations and you know work with people like like motorhead you know i saw mickey the other night at the, the ronnie james do bowling event may you rest in peace cool. um and it was it was great to see mickey and we had a great chat you know so um i'm glad that this is coming out and that people will get a chance to check out undercover as well as skeletons in the closet yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Bruce uh, Bouillet, who you used to do a lot of producing with. Are you still in touch with Bruce at all? Yes, we're actually having lunch on Thursday. I'll tell him you said hi. Oh, yeah, please do. We have, we've had him on the show before, and he's an excellent musician, great guest, and a great producer. You guys made a good team with all that we stuff. We did indeed, absolutely. Spin Thank the you. bottle, okay. spin the bottle, the Kiss tribute. I yeah. always just... Love that. I recently pulled it out and uh, was listening to that again. The uh, What was I listening to? This track with Mark Slaughter, which was... Um, i trying to remember which one that was. That was... Uh, mm, can't remember. God, I, I can't recall either. Yeah. Um, but anyways, great, great, great record. And... <laughs> The the you've done a lot of that tri- tribute stuff as far as producing it goes through the years. I mean, b- besides some of the stuff that you've mentioned, you know, with Lemmy, what other moments as a producer have kind of stood out as as your finest moments? SpongeBob, Sponge, SpongeBob, <laughs> okay. SpongeBob, SpongeBob. Right. You know the the song "Sweet Victory" that Dave Isley and I did. That that was a home run out of the park. Everybody yeah. knows that song. Well, their kids know that song. I was you know. 
wrote that, co-produced it with Dave. You know, this was one of our, like, you know, we wrote it, performed it, you know, it was, it was soup to nuts, you know, and that, because it was so huge for the, uh, the actual show with the SpongeBob character actually singing almost the whole song on the show. And the, the, the fact of the show telling us that they wrote the show around the song. Right. Well, because we didn't understand. Well, like, so well, how is it? You're just sticking this in here. I don't understand it. No, 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 no. We didn't stick it in there. That's what we started. Wow. Just like, oh, I see, I see. So that was, you know, the the theme for Triple H. Another big moment, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but you know, uh, producing, you know, stuff like Rip Rowan's record was was an amazingly great experience. Producing D. Snyder's. Uh, Broadway show tune record with Sweeney Todd and all those songs in there. Uh, whether it's sold or not, they were, those were great moments. So uh, as a producer, you have uh, uh, Glenn Hughes singing I've Got You Under My Skin on the Sinatra yeah, CD that right. I produced doing all those Sinatra songs, you know. I'll never forget that vocal. And he was just like, how did you know that this was the song for me? <laughs> right. Because I could hear you singing it in my mind. I could hear you singing it in my mind. So you're just doing it now right in front of us. You know, it was nothing less than what I had expected, you know, except for when he went up and hit that note at the end, which I was totally like nearly fell over. It's just like, now that guy, he's another one who I wish I would have had him on my record as well. Yeah. He's another one who could sing the phone book and make it sound like God, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so um very fortunate that I that I've had the cast of characters to work with that I've had, you know, in my career, but especially recently, you know. Um, and now revisiting old ground again with the kiss stuff and all of that is it's kind of like full circle. You right know, on. And right. Here's my solo record now, just in time for this. And all the people involved that are going to be playing on this uh, cruise event or people that are on the record. So it's it's not a coincidence. I see it as fate. Right on. Well, I know I told you 20 minutes and we're, we're well past that at this point. But two more quick questions kind of to bring it back to the record Skeletons in the Closet, which is out now through Vanity Records, again, Bob Kulik's Skeletons in the Closet album. A great, great listen for any hard rock fans uh you you mentioned we were just talking about all your your producer work is it is it and i know on skeletons in the closet you are not the producer on it you you have a, a somebody you mentioned his name earlier uh slipped my mind the producer's name is no it, it's it's no it's bobby ferrari it's, it's produced right. by bobby ferrari and bob Hulick. Right. yeah you know i put him first because he deserved to go first okay um but it, it's still a co-production of mine oh you okay know. okay is, is it difficult for you to work with other producers when you're you're also the performer? No, it makes it easier if you trust somebody, you know, that they're going to tell you when they think it's good or if the tuning's a little, eh, you could do one more, you could play it better. Okay, right. rather than an argument, let me hear it. No, I think it's okay. No, maybe not. No, I, I do that. You know, it's always easier to just, you know, okay, I'm just the player now. What do you think? I think it's just good. Okay, great. Let's hear it again. Well, I like it. Okay, or, yeah, yeah, one more. Right. You know, so no, it's a big help. It's a big help. You know, I'm, I'm not somebody, you know, the, that I've always been a team player. And so despite this being a solo record, you know, I got 23 people and Bobby and all these other uh, auxiliary people helping out. So, you know, it was really a team effort on everybody's part. Excellent. Cool. And last question for you, Bob, the, the Kiss Cruise, you mentioned you and Bruce will be playing 
uh, a set uh, on the on the Kiss Cruise, which sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm not going to be on the Kiss Cruise, and I know there are lots of Kiss fans who who aren't able to make the Kiss Cruise. Is there any chance that you and, and Bruce Kulick, your brother, would ever consider going out and doing something like that, like a small tour or a big tour, possibly um, for all your fans that love all the yeah, work I think, you've done uh, with Kiss I, I, and I outside of Kiss after. Yeah, I didn't mean to step on your question. No um, but the answer is yes. Uh, we had a great time rehearsing for the cruise. And there'll be a, a clip posted shortly. Uh, everybody can uh, see everybody saying hello about the cruise and you know, a few seconds of us actually playing um, as a teaser. Uh, but, you know, we've already talked about it, you know, and if, if the audience needs to see us and demands, then uh, we're definitely going to be willing to uh, appear and uh, do something that, you know, has been really fun and something that we haven't overused or abused. So I feel that's why I feel really good about it, because, it's, you know, it's not something we've done a lot of. And so this will be something great to showcase what, you know, what it is and what it could be. So let's see what happens. I think yeah. uh, we're all open to the possibility. Well, as a, as a fan of both you and your brother, I'm I'm demanding it. <laughs> so let me know who I have to call. Or... Okay, well you'll let him know as well then. Yeah, <laughs> call Bruce Kulik. Uh, sorry. Just yeah. Kidding. No, you know I think I think the audience will tell us what we need to know. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Absolutely cool. And again, Bob Kulik has a brand new record out, Skeletons in the Closet. Good luck on the Kiss Cruise, Bob. And thank you for all the great music through the years, including this brand new record. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We'll have to do this again, Mark. Absolutely.
right there was Nowhere to Run, classic Kiss song off of Kiss Killers, featuring Bob Kulik on guitar. I'm here with Joshua from the Talk To Me podcast. And I love the interview that you did with, with John at the, uh, at the Rock and Pod Expo. I'm so glad that finally got put out on your, on your feed, because I, I honestly thought that was one of his best. He seemed relaxed. He didn't seem nervous. You know, he's, he was a great, great interview. He kind of threw me off um, <laughs> because I had uh, I, I had donated my recorder to the cause. I guess you would say like they needed okay. a recorder for the uh, for the for all the live shows at the Rock and Pot Expo. Right. So I just figured I wasn't going to do any do any interviews. I was kind of like you know I'm just here for fun, here to talk, here to here to kind of promote the show. So I started drinking. Right. <laughs> and uh, and so by the time I got my recorder back and then like Toby Wright was like, hey, do you want to do an interview? And uh, Kenny Olson from Kid Rock's band wanted yep. to do an interview. And, you know, it just kind of kept going. And, and the more I listened to those episodes, the more I could hear myself slurring. And I didn't really want to put them out. So I didn't even touch a lot of them. Um, but one day I had a day off from work and I was at home and, and a lot of those were really short interviews. So I kind of listened to them. And uh, the one with John actually came out really well. And uh, he was he was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, he seemed really relaxed because I know you asked him about his appearance on the classic metal show, which, you know, he had done literally backstage at the M3 festival because Neely was there and he jumped on Neely's cell phone and did the, you know, impromptu interview that night live. And I, when I listened to John on on the classic metal show that night, he s- sounded very, like, careful and nervous and and not relaxed which i can understand under the circumstances you know and here he is without even giving it a second thought going on this podcast that as you know had kind of not the not the greatest history with and i thought he did fine on the classic metal show that night but he didn't seem relaxed whereas on your show like he and even the i don't know if you heard him on the michael butler show that was also recorded at the the expo but michael really put him on the on the spot on the rock and roll geek show about some a stuff and again on that he seemed nervous but on yours it, it just reminded me of the john i know when you're hanging out at the bar having a drink with him he was just seemed really relaxed and a, a great chat you guys had john was a great guest to have on and, and definitely would love to have him on again cool cool so what's going on with your podcast let's talk a little bit about your podcast you have a, a new what i call it a partner that you're working with can you fill us in on what's happening with the talk to me podcast yeah, the the website metalnexus.net, they're uh, you know one of the many metal websites out there, but they're one of my favorites, and uh, I, I've struck up a friendship. Uh, you know, when you go to festivals, you see all the other press people, and, and you talk to them uh, you know, while you're there in between interviews and things like that. And I had met uh, the main guy over there who goes by the name Fist. I had met him at a festival a year ago, and we kind of chatted, and, hey, I have this podcast, hey, I have this website, and, you know, we just kind of kept in touch over the year, over the year. And, uh, then I saw him again at this year's Louder Than Life Festival and we were talking and over the weekend, you know, we kind of hashed out uh, a little plan, you know, to, to make talk to me, the official podcast of metalnexus.net nice. because he didn't have a, you know, he doesn't have a podcast and you know, as well as I do that you need a website and a web presence yeah. to, to draw in the cat fan to get that clickbait article to, to get a pull quote that people want to hear and uh you know you put the player on there and you get some extra downloads that way so um you know i've, I've tried i tried for a long time with talk to me pod.com but it but it's just one person doing it and it's mm-hmm. such a painstaking uh task 
So, you know, he has, he has a, a website with, you know, 10 or 12 rock writers. I have a podcast that has, you know, a decent amount of downloads. So, I mean, I think it was, it's a perfect marriage and, uh, you know, he's been excited for me to come on. Um, I'm excited to, to see where this goes to. And if it, uh, you know, see the increase in, uh, you know, listeners and, and see the increase in uh, visibility out there in the metal world. Awesome. Well, congratulations. And will, will the show change at all now that you're, you're working with him? too much i mean there's not a whole lot of format that we've talked about uh, changing um you know the, the you know one-on-one interviews with with people with the, the musicians um yeah I did, I did bring on a co-host about uh three months ago so it's a uh, this dude john drake and i right. um you know together now uh so that'll stay the same so i mean it's it's pretty much the same it'll have a little bit more metal nexus flavor like if there's a good article that they've put out I'll talk, you know, John and I'll kind of discuss it between us on the show. But I mean, as, as there's nothing major going to change. If you like that, you know, there's it's the same feed, it's the same uh, RSS feed. If you're, you know, uh, techn- technologically, uh, you know, know what that's what that is. You know, it's not like anything. You're not going to have to subscribe to a new feed. I guess is what I'm saying. So cool. all that's going to stay the same. It's just going to have a little bit more of a presence out there. And so you mentioned the louder, what louder than life, right? Festival. Who is playing it? Uh, Louder Than Life this year was uh, day one was headlined by Ozzy, nice. uh, Rob Zombie, Five Finger Death Punch, uh, Gojira, um, you know, uh, I believe Still Panther was there, things like that. And then day two was uh, a little bit more of an alternative day, I would say, but it was um, Prophets of Rage, Incubus, Rise Against, and a bunch of bands like that. And Stone Sour was there. So yeah, I mean, it was it's it's a big you know a big festival here. It's a big Danny Wimmer festival. So it's it's uh you know the same people that put on like uh, what is it Rock on the Range. You know they they put on this one here too. Cool, cool. How was Ozzy? Was uh disheartening. I guess really? is the word of. Um, we he came out you know came out killing it. Um, you know, basically Zach Wild and, you know, it was great to see Ozzy and Zach together. Definitely. That was, that was one of the selling points of this. And from what I could tell, it's basically Zach Sabbath was on tour, which, you know, Zach and, uh, Blasco's kind of Black Sabbath cover band. And I guess the way they routed it, you know, they were doing a tour, but Ozzy kind of flew in for this one show. So Ozzy wasn't necessarily out on tour. So his voice right. wasn't, you know, road tested and uh, up to par but it was kind of a chilly night okay. and and i think somewhere early in the set i don't know if he you know sometimes when you breathe wrong or, or something like and it's cold outside to begin with it kind of affects your voice and uh man when they would zoom in on his face on the big giant monitors you could just see it in his face that he knew that his voice was he sounded like a like almost like he was going through puberty every once in a while wow so it was kind of disheartening it's kind of sad to see someone like ozzy and, you know, getting up there in age, and I don't know how many more times I'll be able to see Ozzy. So it's kind of sad and disheartening to see that is possibly the final time I see him live. Wow. Yeah, it, it's interesting because he used to really struggle like like 10 to 15 years ago when I would see him play. But then it seemed like he was doing a lot better vocally, especially on the Sabbath, the, the you know, the two final Sabbath tours that they did. So I don't, I don't know. That's Yeah, I, I'm hopeful that maybe that was just a one-off and you know he's he's gonna rebound vocally, but interesting uh, to hear. But you know, at least he's not out there with with tapes. At least he's trying to do it live. Because I have heard some people 
say, oh, well, he's probably got tapes playing. That's why he sounds so good. But, you, you know, when you see somebody and, and they are having a, a hard time like that vocally, there's definitely no tapes playing, you know. So I, I do give him props because there are a lot of bands now that are using tapes when the guy, when the singer is maybe has a head cold or is a little off. Suddenly they, they roll out the karaoke machine unbeknownst to the audience. Tell you could tell he was like sucking on like a like a like a halls like a lozenge right. to kind of help his. And they, you could also tell as the show progressed that Zach actually was singing a lot more. Oh wow! Like, you know Zach's you know, basically Zach Wild's voice is very very similar to Ozzy, so it was funny. You could tell like he was up there singing on the mic a little bit more than he probably would be, uh, you know, normally. So, and I was kind of wondering when they were going to start kind of pulling Ozzy's voice down a little bit, maybe turning Zach's up and to, uh, to just make it through the show. And on the, on another note on that was kind of funny was Eddie trunk was at this festival too. And, uh, I talked to Eddie for a little while earlier in the day and I even did a quick interview with him about, uh, for some Ronnie James Dio stuff that he was doing. And then, uh, as I was walking through the, like the VIP area and the media tents and stuff, Eddie was sitting down watching the, uh, the, they had some giant monitors in the, in the VIP area. Eddie was sitting by himself and I looked at him and he looked at me and I just kind of shook my head and, uh, I walked over to him and, and, you know, it was kind of funny to, to, to talk to Eddie on like a, uh, like a peer, right. like a peer level. Oh, and, and he was like, he's like, yeah, he's, he's struggling tonight. And we were like, yeah, we we're kind of going back and forth. And, wow. and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, so it was kind of fun to, to, to share that with Eddie trunk. Yeah, at the definitely. Moment. Definitely. Let's keep talking with Joshua here on Talking Metal. But first, we're going to take a little break to hear some music. This is Taro, and these guys are from Finland. This song is I Walk Forever.
Forever, and that was a request by a guy who gave a really crazy big generous PayPal donation. I was a little bit blown away by this, um, so thank you for that. I have no idea how to pronounce your name, but it is spelled T A U N O. That's your name. And uh, any guesses on how you'd pronounce that name? T A U N O, Joshua. Don't want. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably butchering it. I'm yeah. terrible with names. Oh, yeah, me too. That's why I didn't even attempt it. But thank you for your support of Talking Metal, and I hope you enjoyed that that song that you requested there. Uh, I'm really into this band, the Black Country Communion, Jason Bonham, Derek Sherinian, uh, Glenn Hughes, just so incredible. Um, who am I missing? Joe Bonamassa on guitar. They got a great new record out. It is their fourth record, uh, Black Country Communion 4. I think it's BCC4 is what they're calling it. But there's one there's one thing that drags me down on this record, and it's, it's this song, The Crow. And I wanted to play a little bit of it for the Talking Metal listeners, just a little bit. Listen to this, guys. Okay, so that's just the the beginning of the song, "The Crow." Now, Joshua, you're a musician. Let I want to get your musical opinion on this. This is the massive hit classic song that everyone knows so good by Rage Against the Machine, "Bulls on Parade." Listen to this. Okay, so Joshua, is there any way that Black Country Communion didn't directly rip off Rage Against the Machine with this song, The Crow? Things where where you you get the people like Glenn Hughes and you know the the older um, rock people in our world, and they're maybe a little bit of out of touch, right? And so I don't think that they would sit down and say, "Let's write a Bulls on Parade." Or maybe they heard it on the radio on the way over to the studio, and they're like, "Hey, I got this new song, and I don't know where it came from." But it's it, it's hard pressed for me to think that Glenn Hughes is sitting down and listening to Rage Against the Machine, saying, "We need to write a song like this." But it's it's pretty blatant. Like you told me to check it out today, and and I, as soon as I turned it on, I was like, "Whoa!" How did? And the other thing is, how did no one in their circle 
say, hey, you know, guys, this this is pretty close. I mean, it's a pretty distinct, you know, rhythm and uh, baseline and things like that. So, so yeah, I don't know how they how they got away with uh, way with writing this song and putting it out without somebody stopping them and saying, I don't know, guys. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, somewhere someone heard it before it was released and must have said, hey, this is this this should you know have tom morello's name on it as as far as uh, a writing credit because i mean i think it's i think it should have never been released like this because honestly i love this record and i've been posting about it on social media and stuff and i've had already a number of people come back and say well their their riffs are just ripping off rage against the machine and and really it's only that one song that sounds exactly like rage against the machine to me um but you know Joe Bonamassa, the guitar player, he's not. I mean, he's not a super old dude. He's not as old as 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 Glenn Hughes. He's probably in his forties, I would guess. I mean, so I'm sure he's had had to have heard that. It's just you know bulls on parade. I'm just it's just shocking that no one flagged this because honestly, the comments on TalkingMetal.com on our message uh, in our comment section, you know, when we reviewed the record and people on social media are catching on to this and the fact that it is basically almost identical to the bulls on parade rage against the machine riff, I think is, is tainting people's view of the record, which is a shame because it's a, it's a great record and Glenn use always delivering so much great stuff. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Would, do you think it could have gotten like stuck in their subconscious and maybe they didn't realize it? I think it had to be a subconscious thing. I don't think it could be anything but that, because there's no way that uh, I, just, I just don't see how anybody would let that get through. Even if you know Joe Bonamassa would be like, "Hey, you know this riff does sound a lot like that riff," because I've been in enough bands, and I'm sure you have too, to where even if you come in with something slightly sounding like something else, I mean, there's someone in the room that sh- you know shoots it down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's mind-boggling, honestly. Um, but besides that criticism, I have no criticism of the record. It's a great, great record. It's their fourth record, Black Country Communion. Glenn Hughes blows me away, a guy in his 60s who is constantly just delivering such potently great music. Uh, it's it's uh, mind-blowing to me that he's still can sing so good, still can write so good, still expresses such emotion in in his music uh, 40 years later. Unbelievable stuff. All right, so what do you got coming up on, on Talk To Me? Any cool interviews you want to tell the Talking Metal listeners about that you might have in the can that are coming up on future episodes? Yeah, the next episode of the of the podcast is uh, Matt Hafey of Trivium. Cool. We'll have a great new album the sin in the sentence and actually before i recorded with you tonight uh john and i uh interviewed rita haney who is uh you know dime bags right. uh, basically widow but you know never married but uh we talked to her for almost an hour oh wow and you That's know we, we we all had to take a few yeah we all had to take a few moments after the interview because of the emotions were running so high. Like, you know, she got emotional and then we got emotional because I'm just a huge dime bag and Pantera fan. So she was always kind of a bucket list guest to have. And so with the new dime vision coming out, uh, in November, uh, you know, she's kind of making the rounds and, uh, I got, I got that one today. So yeah, I mean the next couple episodes, 
Matt Hafey of Trivium and uh, Rita Haney uh, talking some great, great Dimebag stories, great Pantera stories. Wow. Wow, that sounds like a score to get Rita. That's great. Great. Cool. I'll definitely be listening to that. And so Metal Nexus, I guess, is the place where people should go to get the podcast now? dot net and uh, there's a there's a talk to me tab up there at the top uh, right next to you know artist you know uh, the uh, review album reviews and all the news and stuff so it's out there now and uh, you know I think the audience is just going to keep growing and you know I just uh, I, I appreciate you giving me the uh, the platform here to promote the move over to metalnexus.net mark all right you bet you bet right now we're going to get into my interview with Sean Drover and then we're going to come back and wrap things up this is a great great interview he talks a lot about his his band active defiance but he also talks little megadeth a lot of other stuff too so this is a a fun listen and active defiance definitely have some some great music out we're going to hit some of it right now going into the interview the album again is old scars new wounds it's out now in the interview i'm talking about that it's coming out soon, but it's, it's already out. So you can, you can get it again. I recorded this like a month ago. Let's get into the song overexposure by act of defiance, followed by my interview with Sean Drover.
Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and calling in on the line, Sean Drover of Act of Defiance. How are you, Sean? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. I'm psyched. I checked out the, the two songs that you guys have released off the upcoming Act of Defiance record. They sound excellent. Thank you very much. So you don't have... You didn't get an advanced copy of the record then. I, I did not get an advanced copy of the record. I did. Uh, I did hear the the two songs, uh, "MIA." I heard and "Over Overexposure." Yeah. They're, they're. I mean, the records. I mean, I'm really proud of the record. It's a great progression from our first record, and those two songs are not to say that, of course, they're 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 complete heavy metal, but. There's a lot of songs on the record that are actually heavier than those two songs. Really? Okay. And uh, and and much more diverse as well. I mean, there's like the first record, you know, we kind of don't have any musical parameters in terms of, well, keeping it within the realm of heavy metal, of course, but that's a broad term in itself, you know what I mean, for us. So it's, you know, we don't have any reservation about, you know, playing some thrash tunes or having a progressive metal song, an old school metal song, whatever we are comfortable with doing, as long as it's, falls under the category of heavy metal where you know quite comfortable putting it out and and this record is a real reflection of that even more so than the first record it's it's quite diverse but it's uh it definitely covers a lot of ground uh, within the uh the genre of heavy metal so i'm real proud of it cool excellent now did you guys self-produce this or did you work with zeus again i wasn't exactly sure if you had a producer on board for this one it's well we had dave otero mixed and mastered the record and but by and large, really, the band produced the record because right. well, there really wasn't a, you know, there really wasn't a quote unquote producer, like, you know, Bob Rock kind of guy, you know, kind of looking over everybody and giving pointers. We all kind of just did it on our own in our own respective studios um, where we live. And, and again, you know, it, for us, we've been doing this for so long and, and, you know, we went through the demo stages of creating the music and all that stuff and refined it and all that. So when we were ready to record, we, we pretty much had it buttoned down, you know, 99% with a little bit, a little bit of wiggle room for, you know, if we wanted to change a little thing here or there, but by and large, the record was written, of course, when we uh, went to record it. So we really didn't have a producer to be honest, but, but Dave Otero uh, mixed and mastered the record. I think he did a great job. Cool. And for somebody who maybe isn't familiar with active defiance, um, Let's talk a little bit about who's in the band. Of course, yourself on, on drums. You have Chris, uh, who you guys were in Megadeth together for many years. But let's talk mm -hmm. about the two other guys that uh, people might not know. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about Henry and, and, and Matt and your relationship with them and where you guys originally met? Sure. I mean, I've with Matt, I've known Matt personally for... Uh, almost 18 years now. When I, I uh, when my brother was in King Diamond okay. in uh, 2000, they did uh, House of God tour in North America, and and I helped out. I was actually Andy LaRock's guitar tech, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. For that tour, they they needed a guy. Uh, they needed, I guess, the tech they had couldn't make it or something at the last minute. And I and uh, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'm not a guitar tech really, but I'll I'll, I'll come and help out. And uh, so I did that tour and. And Shadow's Fall was the direct support on that tour. And, of course, Matt is one of the guitar players uh, in Shadow's Fall. So, I mean, I've, I've, you know, we hung out with those guys on that tour. And, and, I, and I always remembered, you know, those guys, they're, they're really cool guys. That, uh, and Matt was especially like, a, you know, he had a business sense to him. You know, he handled 
a lot of the business uh, doings for, for Shadows Fall on that tour and stuff. And he was just a really laid back, chill guy. And, you know, fast forward all these years later, when we were looking for a bass player, uh, Matt put a thing on his Twitter page saying, hey, the, you know, the Shads have, have stopped touring. He was looking for a gig. So I, I just hit him up. I said, hey. You know, and I knew he played bass. He actually plays bass and some different stuff back home when he's off the road with, with Shadows Fall. So right. I knew he was a capable bass player as well. So I just kind of said, hey, you know, you know, what do you think? You know, Chris and I are doing this and would you be interested? And he, and he, and he jumped right in and, and, you know, obviously he's a great guy and a, and a great player. So that that's Matt Henry, um, Chris sound Henry. Uh, we're do, kind of doing like a YouTube search for different singers and, and Henry uh, or Chris had heard that, um, well, Henry was in a band called scar the martyr, which I'd never heard at the time at all. And he, uh, he had left the band and he was, you know, kind of a free agent as well. So, you know, Chris sent me a couple of things that he did and we both thought it was really interesting. And, and, uh, we hit him up as well out of the blue and, uh, and, you know, expressed the same thing, you know, would you be interested in, in, uh, checking what we're doing out? And, and it kind of went from there and, uh, and here we are. Right on, right on. And that was back in, when did you guys originally form this? Like 2013, 2014? Chris and I formed it in November of 2014. Okay. And, and at the time, you know, it was just Chris and, when we wrote the music for Birth and a Burial, Chris wrote five songs and I wrote five songs. And the reason for that is we didn't have a band. So we were looking for band members at the same time as creating music, trying to find a manager, trying to find a record label, trying to find a booking agent and all the uh, uh, artists who can do potentially do the artwork. And all these things Chris and I had to do, um, juggle all these hats and try to pull this off. And, and looking back now, I really don't know how he did it. Right. I guess it was, you know, through sheer determination and stuff. But uh, that's the, you know, the reason why Chris and I wrote five songs each in that record and, and Matt and Henry didn't contribute musically was because by the time we found them, the record was already written. So, so. They, they're more involved with the writing process on this new record? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Matt wrote three songs on the new record. Wow. Henry wrote a song on the record, which is Overexposure, which is which is the second video we re released. Yes. He, he wrote that song. Uh, Chris collaborated with him. Um, cool. uh, Henry was involved, of course, with the lyrics and the, the melodies and, and all that stuff on, on Birth and the Burial, but even more so with this record, um, you know, he was much more involved because we, again, we, you know, we've been a band now for over two years. So it's, you know, we just said, okay, we're going to start creating the record at this point and blah, blah, blah. So he was, he was hands-on as was Matt, you know, from, from the get-go on this record. So, and it's, uh, it was nice to have a little bit more time to create music and have all four of us contribute as songwriters and, and, uh, and lyricists as well. So it made it a, a little more of a, a bit more of a seamless record than the first one. The first one was, again, like I said, Chris and I had, had so many hats to juggle and, and do so many things, you know, it was, it was a little more hectic. Um, so this record was a little more laid back and seamless to do in terms of creativity. Very good. And we were, of course, are talking about the, the new album by Active Defiance. It is Old Scars, New Wounds, out on Metal Blade, I believe, right? Correct. And was the first record on Metal Blade, too? Yep, we have a four-record deal with Metal Blade currently. Oh, cool, cool. Now, just to circle back, you mentioned that you had done some guitar tech work when your your brother was, I believe, touring with uh, King Diamond. Uh, do you, are you are yep. you a guitar player? Do you write music on guitar? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I'm playing, I'm playing guitar since I was 14 years old. I mean, I've been, I've been writing music for over 30 years now. So yeah, well, like when I say that, you know, I wrote five songs on, on birth and the burial. I, I wrote all the guitar riffs. Those, wow, okay. Half of that record that you hear are all guitar riffs for me. I mean, I, you know what I mean? And on this new record, I wrote uh, three songs on the new record and it's, you know, it's all, all the guitar riffs you hear on those songs are, are, come from me cool. so yeah i've been a songwriter for many many years so when you, you know, started so playing back when you were a kid did you start out on drums or was it guitar no it was drums glenn glenn started guitar and i started drums and and for whatever reason and i really don't know why to be honest with you i took up guitar about a year after glenn started and i mean just because i'm i mean i I'm, i've always been like a real guitar freak i just you know love the guitar, but I, I knew early on at the beginning of it that I had more of an affinity for drums, um, having said all that, but I also was completely enthralled with guitar as well. So, you know, at a certain point when Glenn was, was really kind of finding his way, I just kind of, he, I watched him and he taught me some stuff and, and I just seemed to have, um, a knack for, for, you know, in a very primitive way at the time when I was a teenager, but writing heavy metal songs, you know, when, when we had our little bands in high school and stuff, the, all the original stuff was mostly written by me, wow. oddly enough. Um, and, you know, there are others, of course, in, in, in the metal community that, that do this. You know, Charlie with Anthrax, of course, is, uh, is right, yeah. certainly comes to mind. You know, he's written many, many, many of the Anthrax tunes on guitar. I don't know if everybody knows that or not, but, you know, he's definitely the, the primary songwriter of that band. Um, you know, for me, my, my my vision is, or my take on it is, you know, whoever can write a great song for the band and, and it works for the band, then, then that's great. You know what I mean? To have four songwriters in our band, you know, we all play guitar. Henry's a guitar player as well. Of course, oh, cool. Matt is with Shadows Fall. And, and yeah. So to have four guitar players in the band is definitely a beneficial thing. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, and in a lot of different, in, in a lot of different ways, but certainly from a songwriting perspective, it's better to have, everybody contributing, you know, musically instead of, you know, just Chris, you know, he's a guitar player. He writes the songs. It's, it's a lot to take on and, and it's good to have different perspectives and songwriting um, variations between the four guys. So I think it really works well for us. Absolutely. So guys, just to remember, we're talking with Sean Drover. He is the drummer of Act of Defiance. Their new record is just about out right now check it out it's old scars new wounds out on metal blade sean when you're not playing drums when you're not playing guitar when you're not doing music what what keeps you busy do you have hobbies or other uh, things to keep you busy yeah i play i'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid golf golf freak i, I play uh, i do a lot of uh, um charitable events on, on the golf circuit and stuff with it was like a lot of uh, different professional athletes and musicians and and uh all kinds of things like that. I do. There's, there's a, a whole circuit of, of events that happen and they're pretty much primarily uh, char charitable events, which raises a lot of money and stuff. So I, I play the, the Hootie and the Blowfish tournament at every April, which oh, is really? called Monday well. after the masters. Yeah. It's a huge event in, in, uh, in Myrtle beach. Um, I'm pretty much waving the flag for, <laughs> for a heavy metal and, and certainly in that tournament. I mean, there's all kinds of different musicians that I'm the only guy who's, who's out there waving the flag for metal. So that's right. cool. it's kind of a neat thing, but, um, yeah, I do a lot of different events. I'm going down to Florida in November to do an event. I'm doing another one in December, also in Florida. So I, I keep busy doing that, and that's that's definitely a passion of mine. 
uh, aside from music and my, and my family, of course, that's, that's what makes me the happiest is just to get out there and, um, and play golf. Um, you know, I'm a, a also, you know, an NFL and college football junkie as well. I really enjoy uh, watching, uh, NFL football when, when the season's going on I'm a big Steelers freak. So cool. That's stuff, stuff like that makes me happy. You know what I mean? It keeps me busy and, and, uh, you know, at yep. this point in my life, you know what I mean? It, it's, uh, you know, I, my life is pretty simple. I, I, I do the things that I enjoy and don't worry about the things that I don't enjoy. Well, that's a good thing. Definitely. And now you're obviously an accomplished mu- musician. Do you do like session work and stuff too? Yeah. I have a bunch of students that I do actually. It's, it's funny. That's one cool, you know, one, one of the neat things about technology of course is, is the communication factor where, you know, I can teach students on Skype. I have uh, students in Istanbul, Turkey. I have uh, a wow. student in England, students in Canada, students in America. And, and, uh, you know, again, it's, 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 it's a part-time thing, of course, because when I'm on the road, I'm not available to do that stuff. And, and often if I'm doing other stuff as well, when I'm not on the road, you know, it's kind of a sporadic thing when I am actually available, but I have a, a certain sector of students that they're, they understand, you know, my schedule and, and they pretty much, you know, I let them know ahead of time when I'm home and if they want to do drum lessons, I'm, I'm available to do so. So it's, it's fun for me to, to teach them stuff and help them out. And, uh, um, again, yeah, it's just something that I enjoy doing, uh, part-time when I'm available and, uh, it seems to work out quite well. It makes them happy and it makes me happy. Excellent. Excellent. Now you were in Megadeth for over 10 years. When you look back on that time, what are some of the highlights of, of your, your time in Megadeth? It's all, it was all, it was all good stuff. I have nothing bad to say at all about that band. Um, you know, Dave Mustaine gave me a career and I'll always be thankful to him for that. Um, you know, I was, I was very good friends with him for, for 10 years. And at, at a certain point, I just wanted to move on and, and express my own musical vision and do the things that I wanted to do before it was, before I got too old, you know what I mean? Right. I'm not a spring chicken. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 51 years old. So it's, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. If I, you know, so there was, it, I just started to think, you know, if I want to do something, um, you know, the clock's ticking here. So, and, uh, oddly enough, Chris was kind of thinking the same thing. So we just, you know, made a decision like, you know, what, why don't we do our own thing? And that's kind of what we did. And, uh, but I have I have nothing but good things to say about that camp and, and uh, again you know Dave gave me a career and, and uh, I have nothing but good things to say about him and, and the entire organization and I wish I wish them the best of course. And did you guys once you left Megadeth you pretty much immediately formed Act of Defiance or was there a little downtime in between? It, it, yeah, it didn't take long because you know I, I let chris and and ellison know uh, that i that i had left i i quit first and then chris pretty much did it almost almost right away as well so it's kind of a double whammy and, and um i just you know we just kind of over the course of i don't know what it was a couple of weeks or whatever um you know kind of say well why don't we you know i let him know what i was wanting to do you know i wanted to get right back at it and, and express my own musical vision and he's like oh i you know I was thinking about the same thing. So we just, you know, I wanted to make sure that Chris, you know, because Chris is such a shredder guy, I want to make sure he didn't want to do some kind of, um, you know, instrumental shred stuff. Cause although I love that stuff, it's not certainly something you can go and tour with and, and right. be a real band. So, 
by and large anyway. But, um, you know, he was like, no, I want to, you know, I, let's, let's freaking do a full on metal band, get a singer and in the whole nine yards. So, uh, so that's what we did. Cool. And you mentioned, you know, touring. Do you have a lot of tour dates scheduled at this point for Act of Defiance? It's being, it's being worked on right now. Okay. We're, we're, I, there's nothing I can reveal at the moment, but yeah, okay. there's, we're, we're with our booking agent man, manager. We're just kind of going over what's, what's the best way for us to go about touring on this record. But the last record we did, we did over 110 shows. Um, a lot of them were headlining shows and, and looking back, it was cool that we did that. Certainly, you know, just to go out there and grind it out and, and prove to everybody that we were willing to, to do whatever it took to, to get the band out there and, and, and to show everybody that no, we're not some stupid ass super group project, whatever people want to coin us or whatever. You know, this is a real band and, and we want to tour and we want to support every new release. So um, I don't regret doing what we did at all, but going forward, I think it's better for us to be an opening back, uh, an opening band on a, uh, a larger tour to get exposed to more people. You know what right. I mean? Yep. It's all about exposure. Uh, as, as you know, you know, you, you got to get your product out and the awareness to, to as many people as, as possible because there's such a, an overabundance of product coming out and stuff on, you know, even stuff that's not released. It's like, there's so much stuff on the internet and YouTube and, and uh, what have you, it's hard to keep track of it all. So, to go on tour it, it, and it, and that's the, you know, the one thing that still remained true from the old days was, you know, band back in the day when I was growing up, you know, bands put on a record and they went on tour. That's the only way you could see them. You couldn't watch them on YouTube because there was no YouTube back then. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. So that still remained true. It, um, even though anybody can pull up a show that you did last night, cause someone's going to film it. You, you're not getting the, the real experience you know, it's not the same watching it on your crappy little laptop as to going to a live venue and getting your head blown off. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. From the sheer volume, it's it's a different experience. So you lose you lose us, the we, vibe of the room. You know, I've had you this lose yeah. you lose everything, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's you know, you you know, right? If you're not there, it's not the same. It, yeah. It's cool that people. It's cool that you can see something. You know, if you saw some. You know, the Vakken Festival because you couldn't make it. It's, it's all really great and cool to see it, but you're missing, you know, it, you know, you can only imagine how loud that PA is. It's just, it's mind boggling. It's earth shaking. You know what I mean? Right. And it's so friggin' awesome and metal. That's, that's what, you know, those who don't go to shows, you're missing all of that. You know what I mean? Or, um, so, you know, again, that's really important for us. We have that old school sensibility of, <clears throat> we have to go out and support, the release that we're currently putting out and we're going to play everywhere we can play as much as we can play and get it in as many uh, people's faces as, as possible. So that's, that's what we're all about. Awesome. And again, we are talking with Sean Drover, active defiance. The new album is old scars, new wounds. Definitely check it out. It's out on metal blade or about to come out on metal blade. We'll have links up in today's show notes on talkingmetal.com. Sean, thanks so much. All right, buddy. Thank you.
That was my interview with drummer Sean Drover, formerly of Megadeth, currently of Act of Defiance, and that song right there, M-I-A. We have been joined by Joshua from the Talk To Me podcast, a great show that is available on iTunes and what what other outlets? I'm sure all the regular podcasting outlets you're probably you're probably on, right, Joshua? Google Play and you know pretty much Google if you Play. can find you know you know you can find it there. And then obviously you can go to metalnexus.net and it's always a uh, streaming there. But man, the one thing uh, I like I said I had Sean Drover on the podcast not too long ago, and the one thing that always jumped out at me. Uh, talking to him was that he is the was the longest tenured drummer in Megadeth. Yeah, that just it just never seemed right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You you don't think of that. I mean, it's like I also I recently had James Kotek on from the Scorpions, and you know I think of the Scorpions for when I was a kid, Herman Rebel, and but James Kotek was the longest running drummer of of Scorpions. You know, so it's it's uh, yeah, it's amazing. Tommy Thayer, I think, has been in Kiss longer than Ace was at this point. It's crazy to think of. I think Robert Trujillo is like right on the cusp of being in the band as long as Jason Newstead. Wow. If not just a longer, which is that's another crazy thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Again, we had a great time hanging out with you at the Rock and Pod Expo. Is it happening again next year? Have we heard anything? definitively on that i do believe that it's going to happen uh you know i think chris is uh chris is looking forward to doing it again so cool. i'm looking forward to uh, making the trip down and hopefully seeing you and uh your lovely wife emily and hopefully john pops up too yeah that would be great yeah we're looking forward to it i think i'm going to see chris down at the uh, atlanta kiss expo in january with vinnie vincent his his appearance he's been found he's going to be appearing at this kiss expo january 20th if you can make it down to that guys we'd love to see you we'll have a talking metal table there decibel geek will be there julian gill will be there a lot of the same faces that that joshua and i saw at the rock and pod expo in nashville will be in atlanta on january 20th for the return of vinnie vincent possibly only for an afternoon but he is returning for at least a few hours there so looking forward to seeing vinnie in the flesh at the atlanta kiss expo 2018 and yeah it's a pleasure joshua please come back on a future episode of talking metal and what, what should we play to take us out i don't have anything set here anything uh, you want to play for the talking metal listeners Let's let's end this one with uh, with a nice Sean Jover Megadeth song. This the song uh, "Head Crusher." That was always one of my favorites of his era. Cool, "Head Crusher" by Megadeth to take us out, guys. Connect with us on Patreon and uh, support us by using our Amazon links on talkingmetal.com. Thanks, Joshua. It's good talking to you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Breaking for mercy, all alone, unable to handle the press.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.